This episode is brought to you by Extreme Interior by Tamlin. Extreme Interior combines your design and their style to create a visual statement that not only meets your needs, but enhances the beauty of your space. Tamlin's team of in-house architects have collaborated with experienced design professionals to develop an extensive line of interior extruded aluminum trims that complement standard drywall applications as well as various panel installations. Extreme Interior has thousands of design and color options, allowing architects and designers to dramatically improve their building aesthetics and create modern architectural lines. Visit Tamlin.com to learn more. There's almost no cons in using aluminum. It can be recycled indefinitely. 75% of all aluminum that has ever been created is still in use today. In Tamlin, 96% of what we use is recycled. Hi everyone, I'm Amy Devers and this is Neo Conversations, Neocon's official podcast about the exciting changes and issues impacting the commercial design industry. This season, we're doing a deep dive into innovations in materials, sustainability, and flexible space design. This episode is all about the details, specifically architectural trim and how it can be used to enhance interior spaces by adding sophistication, depth, color, and drama to walls, as well as protection from dings and dents in high-traffic commercial and multifamily residential spaces. The trend toward clean and modern designs means character in the form of artful shadow lines, clean transitions, walls that appear to float, and panelized surfaces are in demand. I'm talking to two experts who can walk us through some of the fun new choices and design possibilities, as well as help us wade through the practical concerns of sustainability, durability, and labor and material costs. Hey there, my name's Dana Madden. I work for Extreme Interior by Tamlin. I'm the architectural product manager for our line of extruded aluminum trims. Love my job. Best part about it is just being able to be creative, uh, work with designers, and really come up with solutions for detailing while using extruded aluminum. I'm Wayne Braun. I uh, live and work in Houston, Texas for the last 40 years as a uh, designer designing mostly corporate office space with a firm called PDR. I was the lead design person there for 30 of those 40 years and did a variety of projects both in Houston and all over the country. And I've also uh, designed several different products for manufacturers, including furniture and some architectural details and and things of that sort. I was born with a uh, right brain. I can't do anything in terms of uh, my finances, so tax day was yesterday. It was very difficult for me. <laughs> uh, but I've always enjoyed uh, the craft and the, the notion of designing something beautiful that actually worked and had longevity. And it's fun to work with clients, find out what they want and need to make their lives or their work better, figure out the path to get there by creating an environment that supports it. Let's dive into the topic at hand. Whether you believe that it's the devil or God in the details, or both, we can all agree that details make a huge difference in a space. So when we're talking about interior architectural details, what exactly are we talking about? Wayne, can you walk us through some of the general ways that we can add visual interest through architectural detailing? Sure. God is in the detail for sure. (laughs) The devil shows up when, when we try to get them built sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. uh, we usually work through it. Details are important because I believe regardless of the style of the space or the color of the space or you know whatever the, the visitor would perceive about the space, the thing we all kind of collectively 
see or find whether we can acknowledge it or not is the craft of a space. How beautifully is it made? People respond to cars and watches and jewelry and things that are crafted and art as well. And a lot of people don't see architecture or design as being on that same level, but by incorporating polished details, details that finesse the edges, that create the transitions between materials, I think the visitor or the viewer innately sees that and respects it and appreciates it, whether they can talk about it or not. Let's just run through what some of those details are that you're referring to that can help the occupant of a space feel the craft of it. Spaces are made up of different materials, typically. Yeah. There's a a fast, easy way to make a transition between, let's say, tile and a painted wall, and that's to butt them up next to each other and get a caulk gun and caulk that corner and, you know, rub the caulk with your finger and try to get it as smooth as possible. Mm-hmm. Done it. That's the, <laughs> that's the uh, kind of the world's worst way to do it, but that's, <laughs> that's the way it's done quite a bit. So this idea of, of a detail then would be is how do, how do you make those two materials marry up with each other and do it kind of in a, in a more beautiful, concise, precise manner? The uh, connection of materials is important. Mm-hmm. The other thing architecturally is – there are these, and I'll call them planar surfaces. The ceiling's a plane. The walls are planes. The floors are plane. Mm-hmm. And where those planar surfaces intersect, again, we can just jam those materials, the floor material, the carpet, the wood floor, whatever, up to the sheetrock or the wall. Historically, we've used you know, wood base as a transition between walls and floors. Well, in a more contemporary world, those traditional details don't really fit as well. They don't aesthetically pull off the uh, style or the character that you'd want to do. Got the same issue with where ceilings and meet walls. You know, how does that transition of those planes meet? Do they just simply run into each other and die at a corner, or are those edges and those corners finessed? Right. Um, it, does the cottage cheese hit the drywall, or does the is there crown molding? <laughs> or Exactly. Because those transitions were always very difficult, that's why we have crown molding. That's why we have large wood bases traditionally mm-hmm. because the corners were difficult to to get right, to craft right, to make them square and, and, and pretty. Since the Bauhaus design and style, those surface treatments have been stripped away. And it's more about the materiality of the of the planes. And so how do you make those planes then come together without a big bulky transition like crown molding or base? Well yeah, that is an interesting challenge. And that leads us into talking about trends. What is happening in the world of walls? If we're veering away from some of the traditional or time-worn architectural details, what are we veering towards? It's interesting, and I think it's happening very quickly. Several things are driving it. One is the availability of craftsmanship or the the ability to do uh, more finessed work on site. Skill levels of the workers isn't kind of what it used to be in terms of programs for uh, masters in carpentry or painting or, or plaster work. It's faster, better, cheaper is the is the motto. We've got to develop ideas and solutions that can be executed quickly, easily, and don't require a great deal of craftsmanship on the part of the people executing the work. That's one element. Mm-hmm. In terms of corporate office space, And I think to some extent, hospitality and even medical, we're seeing this movement toward what the industry calls demountable walls, walls that uh, are made in a factory, 
in modules and then brought to the site and installed like furniture instead of the traditional method for studs, drywall, plaster, paint, dealing with all that on site. Right. It's faster. It's more precise. The cost used to be prohibitive because it, it didn't compare in terms of, of cost to doing it on site. Well, now, since the skills and the workmanship and the availability of workers is gotten constrained and the factory elements have become more efficient in terms of manufacturing, that condition is starting to eclipse itself. So we're going to start seeing more demountable walls, more products that are made in the factory and brought to the site and, and installed for ease and, and speed. So that's really interesting, and it's it's true. We're headed headlong into a deficit of skilled trade labor, and the manufacture of walls is changing because of it, but the ability to make those walls look as good without the skilled labor is an interesting challenge. What are we seeing in terms of like the aesthetic trends? I know, Dana, you've done some research when it comes to millennials and baby boomers and the type of things they're gravitating towards. Can you talk about what the demand is in terms of these interior commercial spaces? Across every market, really, right now, we're seeing a big push to just clean lines. You still need the functionality of having some type of protective edge for your drywall. Um, It can't just meet the floor simply. You do have to have something there that protects that bottom edge, you know, for just your maintenance and, and housekeeping, essentially. But in residential, multifamily, retail, food and beverage, hospitality spaces, everybody's going to a little bit more of a cleaner look. Um, Whether you want to see the aluminum or not, sometimes it just becomes creating just a fine shadow line. Tiny little reveals are are just big right now, and just going for that more minimalist look um, (laughs) is definitely the the trend. And it's not just millennials, but yeah, I think that's a a big driver there as well. Along with it, I think some of what's driving that is the world's gotten a lot smaller with everyone's access to images from around the world, pictures of architecture, pictures of design, pictures of, of everything are now easily accessible. And so we know internationally that the Europeans have always been a little bit more progressive about modern contemporary design than the Americans. And I found the last 20 years of my work doing corporations that as they become international companies, they've opted to adopt the style and the character and to have a more singular global presentation of themselves as opposed to U.S. versus European. And so I think we're now at a point where European influence on design has become very strong. And as Dana said, the, the younger folks readily accept it because it does feel more progressive more interesting and looks better on Instagram too, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, Instagram is important. But I hear what you're saying, Wayne, especially for global corporations, the branding is now not just part of their sort of printed collateral as it used to be and their logo. It's DNA deep. And so Absolutely. that means all of their physical spaces, whether they're client facing or not, need to represent the company's brand. They can't have two different characters a U.S. character and a European character. Exactly. And I hear what you're saying, Dana. There is this 
trend towards this modern, clean aesthetic. And I think part of what's driving that is you can have a clean aesthetic and still customize it and still put your own flavor on it. But a lot of what we're seeing is a more, let's say, migratory type of living situation where people are moving and not necessarily buying homes, but moving into multifamily residences and wanting to put their own spin on it. But they're not going to move walls and put crown molding in. So it needs to speak to them in subtle ways. And I think one of the ways that we're accomplishing that is through these things like these really minimal shadow lines or these pops of color that you can work into the aesthetics. And so can you talk a little bit about color? Because I feel like color's really having a renaissance right now. Yeah, I, I think people are certainly much less afraid of color than they may have been in the past. Again, I think that has to do with the information world. Things like Facebook, Instagram, they, re, they require you to think in color. Uh, and the bolder and the, and the brighter and the stronger it is, the more attention it gets. And so we still have these annual color projections about what colors will be popular next year and so on. And I think that will continue. I think it will continue to evolve because it's not going to stay static. But – I think there's a, there's a richer palette. I think if you just look at fashion, there's no one driving force in how things look. People have different tastes. It's okay to not be the person who follows the uh, the other twenty. It's okay to be you know one of twenty uh, and do something different. So that's how we're going to be able to perceive color in the future. Is that kind of anything goes? It all has to do with. What are you trying to express by the colors that you're using? I think the use of color will become more intellectual and less emotional or less, you know, driven just by your personal preferences. It'll, it'll be driven by, well, what does this color say? What does this color do? How does it affect people? How does it affect me? Right. Um, How does it change the energy of a space? How does it delineate spaces without putting walls there? I also think texture is having a renaissance, and we're able to – you know, we're able to do so much with texture. It used to just be wallpaper and or like grass cloth or maybe even a, a stucco or troweling technique. But now I think in tandem with the new ways that we're constructing walls, we're also able to incorporate texture into the very structure of the wall. Can you talk about that a little bit? Again, I think it goes back to the sophistication of manufacturing. Manufacturers are still continuing to figure out ways of improving or embellishing or creating multiple products out of a out of a single process in their factories. And I think porcelain tiles are a fantastic example. When porcelain tiles first hit the states, it was either black, white, gray, or beige, and virtually no texture. It was a flat flat surface, and we started seeing those in car dealerships, if you recall because it was uh, a surface that was easy to clean and they could drive cars on top of it. Mm. Well, now you can get a porcelain tile that looks very, very much like a wood floor. Uh, you can get a porcelain tile that looks very, very much like five or six different varieties of beautiful natural marble surfaces for the price of porcelain tile. Amy, I think we're not limited so much anymore by texture or by color, and some of that is being facilitated by progress in manufacturing and manufacturing processes. If I can imagine something now, I can do it. Mm -hmm. Before it was, you know, imagine something and then figure out what materials <laughs> might get you close to that. There are virtually no limitations 
that will continue. Well, and Dana, I think one of the things that's exciting about aluminum extrusions is it's so easy to create a pattern or a relief or some sort of graphic design focus through trim, through aluminum trim and the way that it's incorporated in with the, the drywall installation. Do you have some examples of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely um, almost limitless in your options as far as um, installing just simple pieces, even in a grid pattern or diagonally, you know, doing something really abstract and maybe hiding little LED strips in them. It really is a really versatile product that allows designers to be completely custom. You can be sort of custom. You can go right off um, and do something really linear and clean. Kind of sky's the limit, which is what makes aluminum the miracle metal, right? (laughs) Um, You can kind of do anything with it. So specifically right now, we're seeing a big push in renovations of retail spaces, renovations of um, hospitality, restaurants. Specifically right now, McDonald's has started their renovations of all of their locations across the U.S., They've done, you know, kind of a a step away from that traditional McDonald's look that everybody remembers from their childhood and going into a really modern, clean, more of a contemporary look for a fast food establishment. So they started their renovation of the Chicago location. Gensler designed that one and really gave McDonald's just a, a completely overhaul, a new look. Then after that, they came up with four or five different designs that each of these locations across the U.S. could choose from um, so that not all McDonald's are going to be the same, but they can kind of pick what works best for their demographic, for their area, for their climate, everything. We uh, are lucky enough that Extreme Interior is specced in a lot of those locations across the U.S. Right now, you'll see pretty much every McDonald's in your area getting a a little tweak on the outside, a big tweak on the inside, Uh, everything from their furniture to their lighting, all of their surfaces, all of their art, everything is different in McDonald's now. So we're lucky to be part of that. I mean, McDonald's is, they're definitely sort of a a thermometer of American culture. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, So if they're redesigning to look more clean, sophisticated and contemporary, that means that they're taking the temperature of Americans and what matters to them. I think that's really interesting. What do you see happening in workplace interiors, specifically in terms of architectural detailing? Anything on your radar? It's that clean look. It's that minimalist look. There's not the big, dark wood boardrooms that it used to be. There's a lot more appreciation for clean spaces and places that don't look necessarily sterile environments, but they it's it's welcoming just the same because it's not so dark and enclosing and and having some really contemporary looks and and those lines and everything that draws your eye to them and kind of makes you appreciate the room that you're in um, instead of this big stately yeah and I th- powerful I th- room I think comes across in a different way now mm-hmm. in terms of Dana's point, work has changed around the world and how work environments behave to respond to that work has changed dramatically. And so now the notion of work feeling a little bit more like a hospitality environment as opposed to an old school corridor with private offices and doors, it's a lot more collaborative. 
There's a lot more energy. Clients are looking for stimulation and ways to make their people feel good about being at work. That's kind of like the perfect storm for incorporating better design, more contemporary design, design that's cleaner, uh, more, more beautifully detailed, understanding that we still have kind of the same budgets to work with. The budgets haven't increased. So how do you, you, know, how do you achieve that and still solve the uh, workplace needs as well as make, make the employees feel good about it? So those are two big things. How do we achieve the look and how do we balance all of the other considerations, uh, you know, with the cost, the durability? And, you know, let's be honest, sustainability is on everyone's mind. And it's really important that that's a trend that matters to designers, but it's also a trend that matters to people who are going to buy and inhabit spaces, and it matters to everyone across the board. So let's start tackling all of these topics. First, let's talk about how do we achieve these modern, clean looks, these pops of color, these textural dimensions um, that break up the visual monotony of these planar surfaces that you were talking about, Wayne. Let's go through some of the the fun, really practical ways we can execute on this. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing more effective and less expensive and less difficult to deal with than sheetrock and paint. And so that's still kind of the basis for a lot of these ideas for refining the space. So if we assume that we're going to work with sheetrock and paint to keep the cost down Mm -hmm. on the overall project, well, we want to enhance it so we can enhance it with uh, inset, I'll say, aluminum reveals. That might be a half inch wide, a half inch deep, and we can create a, a rhythm or a, a panel-like effect yes. on sheetrock. We can create a grid kind of effect. We can, without a base, with a reveal be- where the, that sheetrock wall meets the floor, we can create the illusion that it's a more substantial piece of, I'll say, millwork that's been brought into the space, more like you would see in a museum. But it's still sheetrock and paint. And so we can greatly enhance use of very, very common materials by giving it these extra details. So in addition to cutting in these reveals to create that rhythm, we've historically had to apply either wood trim or metal trim. And it's usually custom-made, custom-designed, custom one-off at a time. And so some of these extrusions that Extreme Interiors has uh, allows for the addition of metal to the surface of a sheetrock. So you can create elements that, that stand off of the wall, that protrude out from the wall, and then recede back, protrude out, recede back, uh, again, giving the surface or the ceiling, for that matter, a greater degree of texture, greater degree of geometry, greater d- degree of of its ability to kind of uh, shape light and create shadow in the space and create more drama, more character by doing these things. And as I understand, when you're thinking of aluminum extrusions, that nobody's stuck on the color of aluminum as the only option, because that's just not true. That's kind of the standard, right? Clear anodized aluminum Mm -hmm. is standard, but you can get it in primed finish so that it's installed um, and then painted with your wall surface. So you don't even necessarily know as a visitor into a space that 
you're looking at an aluminum trim, it just looks like how they make that design with their drywall because you just painted it with the wall surface. But yeah, absolutely. You can make it stand out by making it clear anodized aluminum. There's all the other anodized colors of all your bronzes and blacks and champagnes. And you can get any color under the rainbow painted on it with a powder coat finish. A lot of custom options there just as far as matching it with the exact panels that you're using or um, even wall surfaces. And then even further than that, you can do special custom finishes, literally a, a custom film that you can do a wood grain pattern on your aluminum. You can do your favorite tie put onto an aluminum surface. We've done denim for a blue jean store. With aluminum, you have so many options from making it stand out and really be an obvious part of your space or making it just become part of your wall at that point. Do a primed finish, you know, and, and let it just be an accent instead of the main focus. Well, that's exciting, all the different things that you can do with aluminum. You can enhance the actual aluminum color or you can blend it into the surroundings and you won't even know it's there, but it allows you to work with your materials in a way that may have texture or relief or pattern or shadow. I mean, I love what you said, Wayne, about working with light and shadow to create drama and character in a space. And you can do that with additive trims and such, but it's hard to keep adding things and still have it look clean and minimal. So those shadow lines are really spectacular. Uh, again, kind of historically, how we would do that is with woodwork or custom metal work, which messes up your budgets in, in some cases. Uh, it costs a lot more, and it's a one-off detail. It has to be designed. It has to be drawn. And again, with kind of this new manufacturing ability, we can take a, a, a product out of a catalog now and actually create something that looks unique almost every time we use it because of how we can customize it, either by color or finish or how it either contrasts with the surface it's on by painting it another color or making it the same color as the wall and having it just be a, a three-dimensional, almost as if it's been carved out of, out of the wall surface. It just gives the designer a lot more flexibility than, you know, having to work to develop a new thing every time. All right, let's drill down into the practical we all know that there are a lot of considerations when designing commercial space, like a corporate office, a hospitality chain, like you mentioned, Dana, or a multifamily residence. Considerations that we have to take into account always include cost, and cost factors into everything, including the price of the material, but also how much labor is going to be involved, how you're going to customize it. But then there are sort of long-term benefits like durability and longevity, how it's going to hold up in a space. And then, you know, we touched a little bit on it, but sustainability is an important consideration for a number of reasons. It's important to build sustainability into everyone's plan, but it's also really important to know that at some point when this place gets remodeled or renovated, a lot of these materials should be able to be recycled. So, can you talk about some of those considerations and how you like to approach balancing them out, Wayne? Sure. Well, budget's king, so that's that's where I'll start. As I said earlier, this idea of being able to manipulate sheetrock and paint is probably the most cost-effective way of of getting more energy out of out of your architectural services than anything. Uh, it's it's most cost-effective, most most efficient. So you're starting with a 
with a good basis there. Mm -hmm. You can create a lot of drama for not much money. We used some of these extrusions on a residential project recently, and they were used, reveals were used instead of traditional wood base. And the general contractor, who wasn't kind of up to speed on any of this, was concerned that the drywallers sent him up an extra bill for dealing with the aluminum trim. And we kind of had to <laughs> had to remind him that, yes, that's true. Your drywallers, you know, charge at one price. And if this were a mill worker who was installing wood base, that it would be a totally different cost and probably two or three times as much. Not only is the we're working with cost-effective materials, if we're dealing with sheetrock and paint, we're dealing with very cost-effective labor costs as well in terms of getting the bang for your buck uh, on a project. Sustainability, talking about these elements being created by aluminum extrusions, there's there's probably nothing more ubiquitous uh, in terms of sustainability and, and, and recapturing the material is, is, is aluminum. When the space is done, if it's a lease period of 10 years and it gets renovated for the next client and some walls come out, those aluminum trims can be recycled along with the aluminum metal studs that are in the space. So it's very sustainable. Dana, since your expertise is in aluminum extrusions, what would we need to know about specking aluminum trim? What are the pros and cons of working with this material? I would say there's pro there's almost no cons in using aluminum. Um, it's such a versatile material. It can be recycled indefinitely. So kind of fun fact, 75% of all aluminum that has ever been created is still in use today. That's a huge number. That's fantastic. Right. And Tamlin, uh, we do extruded aluminum for interiors and exteriors. 96% um, of what we use is recycled material. Um, and by recycling, it's 6% of the emissions that it would take to actually start from scratch and mine the bauxite and start, you know, literally from zero. Um, so aluminum, just as a material, it's very easy to recycle, very versatile product. Well, the fact that it's durable is also another element of the sustainability. It wouldn't have to get replaced. It wouldn't have to be resurfaced over a period of time is certainly a benefit. Right. And replacing, I think, um, for designers, you know, you design this amazing space in a hospital, in a hospitality setting where corner guards are necessary. And they've taken this time to create this this great space that really speaks to you. And then you stick on rubber corner guards. And it takes away instead of adding to it. You need it, right? You need to protect that edge. But the easiest way to do it is to stick on that that piece of rubber. Um, and so I think designers now are leaning towards trying to figure out a, a different corner option. Um, aluminum is, is absolutely a, a great solution for that. It can become part of that corner. It comes becomes part of your design, and you're still getting that protection for that corner surface as well. How prevalent is this product, can you be reasonably assured that the labor in your area is going to know how to work with this if you spec it for your project? Absolutely. It is not a difficult material to work with. So even starting, you know, with somebody who's maybe never seen it before, at the end of the day, if you have a, a skilled installer who's installing drywall, who's working with wood, who's working with metal and, and knows even the tiniest bit about creating a space and 
and they have any experience under their belt, it's not a difficult thing to work with. And at Tamlin, we have tons of technical um, help for everybody. We send out reps all over the U.S. and even out of the U.S. for people that are going to need, you know, a mock-up install or, or something along those lines. The great thing is it doesn't require any different tools than what the guys and gals would generally bring to the job site. It's cut with a metal chop saw. It gets screwed into the sheetrock or the subsurface, generally speaking, or it gets glued with construction mastic, and then it either gets surfaced or gets uh, protected so that, you know, at, at the end of it, it uh, it's a clean, exposed metal surface. So there's no new technology involved as far as the skill required by the labor actually installing it. It's just, it requires a little bit of practice. And as Dana said, a little mock-up uh, for the person executing the project will teach them a lot very quickly and there's usually not an issue. I think a lot of um, your airport spaces, your stadiums, they've been using aluminum trim for a while. So those contractors, those sub subcontractors have seen this time and time again and, and maybe like to see some of the different designs that are coming out now. Um, but I think mm -hmm. they're already familiar with aluminum trim as as a material. On the residential side, maybe multifamily, certainly, I think McDonald's <laughs> specifically, <laughs> got some hotels right now that are that are just starting to use it. And, and so on that side, yeah, I think that um, some of those installers are probably excited to have something new. And of course, you know, there's always frustration with something new. Personally, we have found very little of that and more calling after the fact, after they've finished a project and saying, you know, can you send me your catalog? I want to know what else you have because I had this idea for, you know, something else that I've worked on. So it's exciting and it's best parts about our job, I think, is that we kind of get to change up every day and, and we do a lot of custom work and we do a lot of listening to designers, listening to contractors and, and really finding what works out in the field, but what they want further than what even we already have. I want you to both put on your, your visionary hats and tell me where you think we are headed. Like, what are your predictions for the future of architectural details, both in terms of innovations and in terms of just aesthetic trends, style? That's a really hard question, Amy. I, you know, and, I, and I'll, I'll kind of revert back to something I said earlier. I, th I think we're on a path to more choice as opposed to less choice of, you know, what, what we get to use and how we get to use it because manufacturers, the technology and the processes are being developed, you know, as quickly as technology can, can accommodate it. New ways of making things that we never thought were possible before. We're going to see more elements that come to the job sites that are made in the factory. And I think things like these extruded aluminum trims are, you know, kind of a part of that in that it's finishing an edge, it's finishing a detail that otherwise would have required much more on-site time. So I think we're going to continue to try to figure out how to build it better and how to build it faster and therefore how, how it actually is hopefully cheaper in some ways. From a design standpoint, I think, again, it's kind of about more choice as opposed to less choice. I think uh, we often get asked the question, what's the office of the future? Uh, the the answer our firm gives is there is no one answer. It's it's what does the company need to support their business for the future that they can see and predict. That window of prediction is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And they, 
generally most clients now will tell you, I can tell you what we're going to do maybe in the next five years. And so the window of design, I think, is is should be similar to that. It should correspond to how people see themselves for the time that they're going to use the design and then where it goes from there. It's kind of – it's an evolutionary process process. And sometimes during that process, we're going to look backwards like we did during the postmodern era to get a little bit more history. And sometimes we're going to go off into the future because we're sending people to Mars. I think design will accommodate the style and the aesthetic that they want to project in and feel good living in or being in. Well, aluminum's very lightweight, so I imagine shipping it to Mars should be pretty cost-effective. <laughs> Absolutely. Dana, do you have any predictions for the future? I don't know that I could say it much better than Wayne did. I would say I think, you know, this this push for the minimalist look is going to be here for a while. I think that it is really just a clean way that, you know, in a corporate world, in a multifamily world, each individual can still make it their own space without changing the the bones of it, right? Um, and that aluminum trim is the bones of it at that point, that your bases and your fine lines and your shadow lines and detailing. And it allows some creativity on the, the end user's part um, while making kind of a uniform look for your entire space at the same time. And I think, you know, with the bespoke community now and, and moving into just custom aluminum lends itself to that trend um, very well. And it's not an expensive thing to create a custom aluminum profile. You know, we have, I don't know how many times a week we end up with a, a sketch on a napkin that, you know, this is what I have in my mind. This is what I wish I would have had on the last 15 projects. Um, and it's a very easy process to, you know, draw it, create it, 3D print it, send it to the designer and say, okay, this is what it will look like. Um, do you want us to move forward? And and it, it really allows designers to to create more than just the building itself. You know, they're at that point creating the parts of it as well, which they love and, and we like to be part of too. So it's just, I think custom is the, yeah. the future. And uh, something I'll add that as Dana's talking, it, it occurs to me that I think the future is also about design of the environment being more and more engaging to individuals. It's going to be our, our environments are going to get smarter. They're going to talk to us in different ways, both literally and, and figuratively. And so the good news for, for all of that is it leaves kind of the imagination completely wide open as to what we can and do and, and how, how we'll evolve it. Well, yeah. I mean, more choice, more engagement, more custom, more sustainable. This all sounds like moving in the right direction to me. So, Dana, where can we go to learn more about these aluminum extrusions and this miracle metal that you've been talking about? <laughs> um, well, our website, first and foremost, uh, www.tamlin.com. You can also come see us out at Neocon. Um, we're going to be in booth 7. 5037. And we're really excited about that show. Uh, we do a, a lot of shows every year, but our big ones are um, certainly going to be the AIA show in Las Vegas this year and then and Neocon in Chicago. And are there any social media platforms where we can take a look at Tamlin products? 
Absolutely. We have Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Actually, if you go to the Tamlin website there, um, you're going to see little links to all of those. Oh, perfect. Wayne, how about you? We'd love to check out some of your work. Well, I'm still associated with the firm that I retired from, uh, PDR Corporation. They have a fantastic website. It's www.pdrcorp.com. I don't have uh, anything set up for myself individually, but uh, may in the future. (laughs) Well, thank you both so much for talking to me. This has been really interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. We want you to be a part of this. Visit Neocon.com and check out Neocon's blog and its social channels to stay up to date on what's happening in the industry and to tell us what you want to hear. Please subscribe to Neo Conversations on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amy Devers. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Clever, for a window into the humanity behind design at cleverpodcast.com. Neo Conversations is a production of 2VDE Media. This episode was edited by Rich Straffolino.